Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport The Premier League is back and so is the game day Premier League preview podcast from Talk Sport In the pod this week with me Sam Matterface Darren Lewis from The Mirror and Talk Sport transfer reporter and commentator Alex Crook on the ultimate preview this week Oh no! Salah struck down by Covid as Reds ravaged by injuries Head of visit by Foxes. Can Leicester be the first to win at Anfield for three and a half years? Citizens caned, frustrated against Iceland. So will Pep feel the full force of the England captain when they go to Spurs? Also this week, Newcastle looking to continue their trend of making Chelsea feel blue. Ollie's still in charge at Manchester United as West Bromwich Albion come to town. And Leeds welcome Arsenal to Ellen Road. Plus a renewal of old rivalries as Sheffield United take on West Ham, still looking for their first win of the season. Everton go to Fulham and Jack Grealish goes from terrorising Thomas Mounier in half the Iceland defence to setting his sights on the Seagulls. All on the podcast that is definitely more reliable than the Germany defence. It's the Game Day Premier League preview podcast from Talks. This is Game Day. Well, hello to the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis. Hello, how are you? I'm very well and very excited now that the international break is over. I always liken it to an F1 race that stops for a little old lady to walk across the road. I am so desperate for Premier League football oh, to come back. Dear. I would not believe. Crikey. It's not that bad. And then in the summer, you'll be like, oh, great. The whole tournament, it's going to it's going to be engrossing. We're going to be able to watch football every single day. We just don't want to do the bit that builds up to it. Yeah, but that's, um, the, that's, the, that's the point, isn't it? In the, in the summer, it's football every single day. At the moment, it's these excruciating waits between matches where we hear about team news and overblown issues relating to the team that people just aren't that interested in, really. Um, I think people just want the football. Uh, Alex Crook is here to put a smile on our face, transfer <laughs> guru and uh, football reporter. Hi, Alex. <laughs> He's in a very downbeat mood, isn't he? Yeah, um, I, I want to I give you a positive, right? Okay, forget the international break and let's just talk about this. We are in November. We're deep into November. The Christmas adverts have started. Even people have started to put their deckies up and the, mm. the lights are going on in certain high streets. They've got no people in them. Um, we haven't had a sacking. Incredible, really. Um, and I think it goes back to the point that you made a few weeks ago that perhaps football clubs, because of the pandemic, haven't got the finances to pay off managers on big contracts. They've been talking there of uh, Slavin mm. Bilic under pressure at, at West Brom, obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer earning himself that stay of execution with a win against Everton. But you're right. I mean, this must be some kind of record since the Premier League began. Have we ever got to November the 19th without a single manager parting company? 
Right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll look into that because that's a, that's a key statistic. Uh, reports this week, Darren, as well, that the government is exploring potential of getting fans back into grounds as early as December, especially in tier one areas where rates of infections are deemed sufficiently low. Now, far be it for me to be a cynic, um, but with the slight um, worry that the European Championship might be taken off uh, England and moved somewhere else where it is slightly easier to get fans in the ground, it's odd, isn't it, that all of a sudden the government have got, actually, do you know what? We can sort this out. Don't worry about it. There'll be fans back in our grounds by the summer. Why don't you all come here and party? Then we might get a shot in the arm, and I'm not talking about the vaccine, um, from the eco- economical boost of having loads of people come and watch the European Championship. I mean, I'm sure that's not on their mind. <laughs> do you know, I feel a little bit like Scrooge this week. Um, uh, so I'm alongside you on this one because... I'm not so sure that I would want to basically pack up all my stuff uh, in a country where at least they've been doing all the right things throughout and go to a country where the prime ministers had tested positive for coronavirus, had the coronavirus, been sick with it, has had to self-isolate a second time. The person responsible for testing traces had to self-isolate uh, where they have got one of the highest coronavirus death rates and in- incidence rates in the world, um, I'm not so sure that I would want to be rushing headlong into um, uh, being part of a tournament held in England. And, you know, it's a joke on the one hand, but on the other hand, there are serious points to make. We keep going on about letting fans in and staging football and wanting to carry on regardless in this country. And sorry to be a bit of a killjoy, but we need to open our eyes. There's almost an arrogant opinion that we can just carry on regardless. And people bandy about phrases like, oh, we'll we'll protect the elderly, we'll shield the vulnerable, but they've got no idea actually how to do that. They've got no idea of the logistics involved, the the travel, people jumping onto tube trains and buses. And there's an argument for saying, does football care? Is it football's problem as long as they get them into the stadium? Whatever happens outside on the buses, on the trains and what whatever else football does it's not their problem and, and as long as they get into the stadia as long as those revenues start coming in as long as the cash tills start ringing again and i think it needs a huge dose of realism so that we don't get carried away with it well um it's hard to argue with a lot of the points that darren made there um my only caveat would be that we right since the start of this pandemic the supermarkets have still been packed with people i maintain that a football stadium and a big outdoor space is a safer environment than a cramped supermarket aisle. If clubs can get a small percentage of supporters back in the grounds and they can do it safely, I, I take into account the transport links, that needs a bit more um, exploration. I think it's a positive thing for the country. I think it's a positive thing uh, for the state of mind. A lot of people in this country, and we're very lucky, we get paid to go and watch football every Saturday afternoon. A lot of people have spent the bulk of their lives looking forward to a Saturday afternoon working so they can afford to go and watch their team mm. on a Saturday afternoon. So for the mental health of the nation, I think this is a very important first step to get supporters back doing what they love. I think like everything, it's just got to be managed in a sensible way if they are going to do it. And I don't think it should be motivated by the idea of, oh, hold on, there is a chance that we could hijack the European Championships and grab it all for ourselves, which I think in the back of my mind, there is the cynic in me is suggesting that that might be the motivating factor rather than actually doing what is right for everyone, as you as you've pointed out. The other thing is, is we sort of blithely think in this country, oh yeah, we can ha- hold, we could host a European Championship tomorrow. Well, anyone who's been to a, a FIFA World Cup or a UEFA uh, Championship will tell you that actually that's not 
strictly true. One, because our stadiums, despite what we think, aren't that good, especially in terms of transport links and in terms of room around the outside, which is required for hosting these major tournaments. You need like a almost like a mile perimeter around most of them. Uh, so it's not as, as easy as maybe we think. But anyway, that is for another day because for this weekend, we're concentrating on the return of the Premier League. And there's no doubt about the game of the weekend. And Harry Kane makes it five for Tottenham Hotspur. Jabs it in from close range. We are in the race to win the next match. It's going to be hard. That's the only race we are. We are in the race to win that match. Jao Cancelo into the penalty area. He finds Foden who turns and scores. And it's a brilliant equaliser from Manchester City. Oh, of course it's important. We cannot deny it. It is. We are going to, to do our best to, to beat them. That's right, folks. It's Jose versus Pep, Mourinho versus Guardiola, Kane versus Laporte and Diaz, Jesus versus Hugo, a team that are currently second against a team that are currently 10th. But it's not Manchester City that are in the top two, it's Tottenham. Uh, City do have a game in hand, Darren, but Tottenham have made a great start. They have indeed. Uh, winners of five of their last six in all competitions, beaten only once, uh, sorry, twice all season. Um, if you include the Europa League, only once in the Premier League. Going great guns and Gareth Bale isn't even fit, fully fit yet. When he is, I would imagine he'll have a significant part to play in the second half of the season. And he's got that experience of helping teams, that Real Madrid team, to get over the line. Um, I think that given the position that they're in, the state of the Premier League so far, Mourinho sees an opportunity that he's prepared to take. There's a big, big uh, factor that I'm sure Crook will, will, will pick up the baton on as far as Guardiola, the news breaking that Pep Guardiola signed a new contract and that may ease a lot of the uncertainty at City and it will be a big boost going into this weekend, but I can't see anything other than Spurs winning at home because they're strong, they score goals, they're more solid in defence and I like them. Tell us about that then, Crook, because at the time of recording, that is a relatively new story, isn't it? And and you've made a big point about the fact that he hasn't committed his future to the club and that might well have caused some of the uncertainty. Does that give them a shot in the arm? Well, we're having a few of those at the moment, aren't we, uh, ahead of the weekend? We certainly are. Um, it's slightly surprising news um, when you look at the fact that Manchester City have made their worst start to a season since 2009. Uh, Pep Guardiola has made his worst ever start to a season as a manager, but clearly the owners uh, still have faith that he's the man not only uh, to win back the Premier League title, but to deliver the, the Champions League trophy, which we know is the one they all crave. I think it will be a boost for the players. It will ease some of that uncertainty around the dressing room. Uh, we don't know the finite details as yet, but my understanding is it's not uh, simply a one-year contract extension. It's a new long-term deal. Of course, he was due to be a free agent at the end of this season. It will be interesting to see now if Sergio Aguero um, follows suit because I'm increasingly coming around to the opinion that he will be leaving to go back to Argentina um, yeah. next summer. And I think it's going to be a big challenge for Pep Guardiola. How do you replace arguably Manchester City's best player of the Premier League year? I know David Silva would have claims to that as well, but I think Aguero is, is certainly right up there. Yeah, I think that's a, something that he's always suggested that he was was going to do eventually. And I think probably the time might be right. He hasn't really played that much so far this season. He's still a terrific striker, but he's uh, he's maybe long not long in the tooth, but injuries have certainly caught up with him. And, and they need to start looking at an alternative strike force. And you look at that Spurs strike force now, Darren, Kane, Bale and Son. That's not only something that would be the envy of Manchester City, but it'd be the envy of most of Europe, won't it? 
Absolutely, because they've got pace, they've got guile, they've got goal scoring, ruthlessness, uh, and they've got invention. They've got just so much. They've got experience in Bale. I keep going back to him. I think Son's one of the most underrated players in the world. And I think that he would go into any team. I think the time that maybe City could have pinched Kane from Spurs has gone because yeah. Spurs are they're not going to pay for him now, are they? There's no resale value. If you, if you, if you, anybody spends the amount of money that's going to be required to get him out of Tottenham now, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, no one's able to afford that sort of level of expenditure on a player of his age. No, 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 certainly not. And also when you factor in, people say, oh, well, he hasn't won things, but he does have two Premier League golden boots. He's got a World Cup golden boot as well. He is a high calibre footballer. And he might I win the league that- this year. He, he could win the league this Never year. Have. Absolutely. I think there's every chance because he's with a guy who knows how to take advantage of a situation like the one that Spurs find themselves in at the moment. Crook, you've had a uh, a little furrowed brow ever since we started uh, mentioning the possibility that Tottenham might win the Premier League. It, <laughs> it's a bit Darren Ambrose, isn't it, to, to come out and say something <laughs> like that. But um, <laughs> the problem is, is at this, at this rate, you can't predict anything, can you? Mr. Ambrose, um, my colleague on the Darren Bent boot room, might well turn out to be a football genius because he was the first person to put let's, his let's head not, above the parapet. Let's, 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 not, let's not go over the top here. I mean, look, but, we, can, but he, we, can, he was, we can all throw darts. <laughs> well, I think this one might just stick. I mean, we're going to come on to Liverpool later and their, their injury problems. Manchester City, for whatever reason, aren't quite firing at the moment. Maybe this new contract for Pep Guardiola uh, will be that, that shot is? in the arm. Because their last five league games have only produced eight goals. And that's that's quite a significant downturn, isn't it, in the, the output that they've managed since last season. If you compare the two goal totals, I mean, it's, it's chalk and cheese. Why is that? Because, I mean, it's not just Sergio Aguero, is it? No, I think that's a big factor. Um, and as you know, I'm not a, a massive fan of Gabriel Jesus as a, a top-level elite striker. Raheem Sterling seems to have lost a bit of form as well. I wonder if just the sheer number of games that he's played for club and country over the past few seasons might just be catching up with him. De Bruyne doesn't quite seem the, the, the player of old. And again, he's had a lot of injury problems. He's had to f- fight numerous fitness battles. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's a multitude of reasons. Obviously, defensively, they're not quite as watertight either. So this is a massive chance for Tottenham. I mean, they're, they're, their attacking options are as strong as anybody's in the Premier League. The one thing we know about Jose Mourinho is he knows how to keep clean sheets. And I still think Toby Alderweireld is one of the outstanding defenders in the country. They've got a rock-solid goalkeeper in Hugo Lloris. Hoybier, really? who I was a little bit doubtful of, has come in and, and, and made a real impression in midfield. And they've got options from the bench as well to come on and change games. I think we're still to see the Gareth, the best of Gareth Bale. We may never see the best of Gareth Bale because I do think he may well have lost a yard of pace, which is a problem um, that he's going to have to work out how to counter. But Tottenham will never get a better opportunity um, to win the Premier League title. And they'll never get a better opportunity to beat Manchester City than this weekend. Not since the last time that they should have won the title, back in 2016, of course. And we all know what happened there. Um, it's crucial though, isn't it, for Manchester City... Um, Let's take it to the nth degree here, uh, Darren. Liverpool and Spurs win this weekend. That means that Manchester City are already eight points back with just a quarter of the season gone. What sort of psychological impact does that have? In fact, you're only three points away from the point at which last season Pep Guardiola sort of almost gave up the title. Mm. I, I don't think he'll do it this time around because this season is still way too open. And... 
I look at Liverpool, they've got no defenders apart from Andy Robertson fit. Uh, I look at Spurs and they don't have the experience of going all the way. And I look at City and, you know, the players that you've mentioned, a couple of them are injured. De Bruyne is feeling his way back. Uh, Aguero still isn't back, won't be back Sterling for quite some be time. Because he's had that tightness in his calf. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether he is or isn't back this weekend, but certainly not going away on international duty will have done them a couple of favours. The interesting thing is so far this season, they've scored uh, fewer goals than they've conceded at home. Um, and away from home, they've only scored six times and conceded three away from home. They've not been convincing. I, I totally agree with Crook, but I still think... In this most unusual of seasons, it's still way too early to make a judgment. The last thing I'll say on, on Spurs, okay. it's easy now to say that they're in with a chance because they're second. I don't want to, I mean, I mean listen, Darren, I've, I've listened to Darren Ambrose's show. and, and, and Sorry, we don't mind taking the mickey out of uh, Darren Ambrose. It's okay. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I would never do that. I would never do. But, the, but the, the, you know, it was at the start of the season, when the window closed, I heard Harry Redknapp talk about the strength in depth yeah. in the Tottenham side. And people thought he was maybe a bit cuckoo at the time. But, at, the, at that moment, he said, you look at the depth that they've got. Regulon is one of the most underrated signings of the entire window. And yet he has strengthened that left back position mm. so much at Tottenham. And I, I just look around the Tottenham team and they've got so much depth and experience. Even before they manoeuvred their way into second, they look like a side that can make an impact this season. And I think they'll follow it through. Yeah, we love Darren Ambrose. I mean, I must admit, when he said it, first of all, I actually did admit, I put my hand up and said, I, I text someone the same thing the other day. So, look, we've all we've all thought that Tottenham have got an opportunity. Uh, Manchester City lost at Tottenham in the flukiest win of Mourinho's career last season. Um, what chance to do it again? And it is live on TalkSport, 5.30 this Saturday. Uh, Tottenham against Manchester City. And it's just part of the TalkSport coverage on a mammoth Saturday of action. It onto his left foot, back onto his right foot, pulls the trigger and finds the bottom corner. And Alan San Maximan has opened the scoring for Newcastle. Tammy Abraham's got space, hits it into the ground and over, runs down and into the net. Oh, he's crossed into the penalty area, flicked on by Kane, and Harry Kane has done it. The chance for Sterling and Manchester City have taken the lead. Raheem Sterling, midway through the first half, scores the first goal of the game. It's 4 on 2 in United's favour. Bruno Fernandes, Edison Cavani, and Manchester United. United win the game. Bola heads it in, and it's 3-0. Carl Barkley has delivered the third goal. An outstanding set-piece from West Bromwich Albion. Newcastle against Chelsea kicks us off at 12.30 on game day on Talk Sport. Now with Chelsea flying into the international break, everyone expects Chelsea to just sweep past Newcastle on Saturday. The benefits of Werner scoring freely for Germany. Okay, forget about that uh, Spain game. Havertz is back from isolation. The negatives, Chilwell might not be fit. Came off against Belgium. Didn't play in the game against Iceland. But here's the big negative. Chelsea almost always lose at Newcastle. Now, I know you're looking at me and thinking, don't be ridiculous, Matterface, you're talking nonsense. Let me just recount some statistics for you. 2013, lose 3-2. November 2013, lose 2-0. December 2014, lose 2-1. September 2015, draw 2-2. They didn't go there till May 2018. And guess what? Lost 3-0. January 2020, Newcastle won, Chelsea nil. Chelsea have won just once in nine years at St. James's Park. Will Newcastle cause a shock this weekend, Crook? 
Probably not, in all honesty. And if you speak to um, any players, they will tell you that they don't pay too much attention to the historical results of fixtures. There's no such thing as a bogey team. Okay, that record doesn't um, look great for Chelsea, but this is a different Chelsea now. I think Chilwell missing will be a blow because I think they're a much better unit when when he is uh, on the left side of that defence. But they've got so many options now going forward. I just don't think Newcastle will be able to live with them. And there's one or two whispers, isn't there, coming out of St. James's Park that maybe Miguel Almiron is, is looking for, for his next move. And you wonder if that uh, may have any, have any kind of impact on their performance. But I, th- I fancy Chelsea quite strongly for this game. Uh, forgetting hoodoos and history, Darren, then, the biggest checkbook in the summer has so far reaped a few rewards, hasn't it? They, they are the division's top scorers, Chelsea. But they need to keep producing because after this, they've got a game against Tottenham Hotspur and it gets a little bit trickier. Yeah, they're going to step up in class quite considerably in that game. In this one, I think they're going to be too good for Newcastle. Darlow looked shaky in goal. That defence looked all over the place when they played Southampton and lost 2-0. And they're an inconsistent team. They've won two of their last seven, one of their last four. And you have to say that without Danny Ings, Southampton... Uh, still got that potency up front but Newcastle they can look good one week and then just look all over the place the next and I think this might be one of those games when they're all over the place because with Mendy and with Thiago Silva in goal it's almost a weekly refrain now Chelsea for me are near invincible they've just got that experience that solidity they know what they're doing at the back and it's a fantastic platform them for them to go and do their business. And I think, Darren, you're, just, getting, you're getting excited so, you're about too excited. And you are always them. so pessimistic about your club, but from a neutral perspective, they look good. They look like a side that is really well organised. They've got plenty of depth up front. They look well balanced with Kante just in front of the back four. Kante was fantastic on international duty with France, by the Much way. Much better with him in this rightful position, which yes. helps. Uh, what yes. do you think about Mason Mount, though? Because um, he obviously had a, an impact in at least two of the England games, and he played all three of them. Um, is that a slight worry for Frank Lampard, Crook? Um, it shouldn't be, should it? I mean, you know, he's, he's a young player at the start of, of, of his career. I think he looked like he thoroughly enjoyed himself against Iceland in midweek. I'm not sure that he found that game particularly taxing. So I would say the opposite. I think you've got a player there who's gone away with his country, uh, has really impressed a lot of people, actually. And I think fans now outside Stamford Bridge, having watched him in an in England shirt, are starting to realise exactly what a good footballer he is. Um, so Amazing, I think he's great. He played 54 appearances last season. But I think it's a great problem for Frank Lampard to have, to be honest, just 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 how to how to maybe keep his feet on the ground. But again, he seems a, a really good lad, so I'm not sure that's going to be much of an issue either. And I think he's got an important role to play for Chelsea this season. Of course, the talk in the summer that he was a bit disgruntled, that these big names had been brought in and that he wouldn't get as much game time as he wanted. But actually, he's become a, a key component in the Frank Lampard machine. And Newcastle again outperforming the data. Um <laughs> They've got 11 points when their expected points is just nine, Darren, uh, suggesting they're getting the maximum out of their games. I mean, it's probably down to some of the new acquisitions they've got and the fact that Brian Fraser and uh, Callum Wilson, Wilson in particular, has taken a couple of, of chances. Uh, but um, I'll, I'll go back to him again. My, my, my new mate, Greg, who teaches in the school down the road, I mean, he's just not having... Uh, Newcastle and the way they perform at all and, and the idea of them playing out from the back against Southampton on that Friday night I mentioned it on the podcast you know he texted me and said if this is us playing out from the back I'd rather we just hoofed it 
And then if you did just hoof it, he'd be on to you basically complaining about that style of play too. I think... That's the nature of fandom though, isn't it? <laughs> well, it were quite exactly. You're never happy unless you've got the opportunity to complain. Um, I'm disappointed with, with Newcastle because there've been periods, I said before, they've been inconsistent. There've been periods where they've looked really as though they could do something under Steve Bruce. They had a really good transfer window, better than most people thought now that all the nonsense around a supposed takeover was put to bed. But Bruce has always had to kind of fight this fire that he's not good enough to manage the club, that he's not achieved anywhere near as much as people thought he has when the opposite is true. I think he's got a good tune out of the Newcastle players. I think he's done well so far uh, this season in relative terms. The personnel they've got in, you know, other clubs would be getting pats on the back for them. I think they've got a good forward line in Andy Carroll and Callum Wilson. I just think that at the moment they've got to put together some consistency. Um, and obviously the tough fixture is not helping them, but you can't be losing to Southampton if you are going to do something this season. And I think that loss in particular of their most recent setbacks hurt them. I'm, I'm not sure what Newcastle fans expect to be brutally honest. I mean, you say they shouldn't be losing to a team like Southampton. In Danny Ings, Southampton have got one of the hottest strikers on the planet. They've got other good players on the side. I know he didn't play in that game, but you've got Walcott there. You've got Romeo in midfield. You've got Wal Prowse, who's a fully-fledged international now. They're a good side, Southampton. And arguably, um, they're as well-run a club now, if not better than Newcastle. What, what are Newcastle? Are they a mm. team who are going to challenge for, for trophies? They never get past the third round of the FA Cup, historically. Um, they haven't really been a team capable of challenging in the upper echelons of the Premier League since Sir Bobby Robson was there. So, I find this attitude towards Steve Bruce, who I think is a very good manager and he's got the CV to prove that, a little bit disrespectful, to be honest. I think Newcastle fans need to know their place. Uh, well, they picked up a point against uh, Tottenham Hotspur that they barely deserve, but you have to ride your luck in this game, I suppose. Um, at Alex underscore Crook. <laughs> and his phone number is 07... <laughs> By the way, in Newcastle fans, just join join together with Leeds fans. He's about as popular as them as he's about to be with you. Uh, Manchester United <laughs> returned to action against one of three sides without a win. West Bromwich Albion and slow starts have plagued Manchester United, who have been level at the break in three of their last four games and had to come from behind in the game against Everton before the international break. Uh, Paul Popper hitting the headlines again whilst on international duty with France, saying playing with France is like a window that opens up. It's a breath of fresh air when you come here. But what's probably gone underreported a little bit is the fact that he was talking prior to that about playing regularly. And rather than some sort of harsh criticism of, uh, of the club, he actually said, this is a period in which I haven't experienced in my career as I've been used to playing all the time and getting into a rhythm. And suddenly that has changed. I feel that I'm gradually getting back into it now. I'm rediscovering my form. That's the sort of performance that I need to produce and I need to do it consistently. So it, it turns out that actually, Crook, if you look at the full interview, he's aware that he hasn't been at his best. And I wonder whether or not we're underestimating what COVID-19 did to him. I'd love to see Paul Pogba um, playing week in, week out, just not for Manchester United. Um, I think he's been there for long enough now to make his mark. He hasn't. I mean, you, you talk about consistency. He hasn't. Well, he performed. talked about consistency. Well, yeah, but he, we, we, we've used that word a lot over the course of the, the podcast so far, and he hasn't produced it on a consistent basis. He isn't a leader um, as a player of his stature should be. I would go as far as to say that he's a problem in the dressing room uh, as opposed to being a leader. Manchester United's best midfield 
doesn't feature Paul Pogba. The sooner he gets his head around that, the sooner the club get their head around that and forget about uh, what he brings to the club from a marketing perspective and sell him, I think the better for all concerned. So, okay, listen, he's caveated his comments, but every time he goes away on international duty, he has to make some kind of comment about Manchester United. It's boring now. Bruno Fernandes is a better player in the position that you want to play best for all concerned if you find another club in a league that will be slightly easier because let's face it he doesn't fancy the rigours of the Premier League two things um, I think that actually in all seriousness Manchester United tried their hardest to sell him over the summer and, and nobody's really got the money to be able to purchase him which is why they waited until after the uh, transfer window had closed to extend his contract by a year because they ultimately want to get some sort of value out of out of him being at United secondly it does sometimes work that you don't particularly flourish in one league, but you do in another. It is Agreed. sometimes different different rigours, different types of football are suited to your game. And there's no doubt that in Italy, he did flourish. But in, in the Premier League, he hasn't. Now, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad player. It doesn't necessarily mean that his attitude is, is wrong or he's a bad egg in the dressing room has as Crook has mentioned, but what it does mean is that we haven't seen the best of him. And there's no doubt that at some point over the, the course of the last three or four years, he has been indulged by Manchester United. They have tried to get the best out of him. Yeah. And what I would also say about that is I've seen games. Um, I remember his comeback against Watford, a match that Manchester United lost when Nigel Pearson was in charge. Pogba came on for the final half an hour and played like he was the best player in the world. He was, he was playing 50-yard passes over the top to Marcus Rashford. He ran the game because he had a point to prove. You know, people have been questioning his commitment and his desire. So when he wants to play, he can play. And there's no doubt about his ability. My issue is he doesn't want to play enough. He doesn't turn up week in, week out. And in this league and in this country, you can't afford a luxury player. And I think that's what Paul Pogba has become. See, I, I think that, that Paul Pogba's been a brunt of the criticism for problems that aren't his, which is why so often we hear him being the focus of attention, whether Man United win or whether Man United lose, even if he isn't necessarily in the squad. And I think that it's a failure of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's management that that's the case. Because if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had a clear idea, a clear role for him to play, he'd be able to get a consistency of performance out of him but if you look at Manchester United I mean, they've got he ha- problems he has in defense, played they've got problems has, in goal they've got problems in, with consistency up front and yet Paul Pogba is being seen as this cancer inside the dressing room and that's the thing that strikes me okay as well, well let's that, that's just take that out out the equation because the the, the cancer in the dressing we don't none of us know we're not in the dressing room so we don't know and unless no, but, but, but Pogba did it. say that he's sitting far, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but I'm just taking I'm just, ta- I'm just taking that out for a second and I'm asking you a question about his performances because although we say he, he hasn't been able to get a consistency of performance Manchester United have put him where he wanted to be. There was, a, there was a period where they put him into the team in his position that he wanted to play and he still didn't produce consistently. So there, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's as much Pogba's fault as people were making out and I don't think it's as much Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault as people were making out. I just wonder whether or not the fit isn't right. You know, the club does, he left the club before. He, he, he maybe doesn't like the environment. It, it maybe not suits him 
in terms of lifestyle. But he seems to go away with France and enjoying himself quite quite a lot because the pace of international football is it is slightly less, isn't it? It's more patient. It's a little bit more deliberate. And I wonder whether or not he just doesn't fit. That can happen, can't it? Crook made a point that I agreed with when you talked, Alex, you talked about um, he was spraying the the passes all around the pitch. I can't even remember what game it was, but he had a wonderful game. But my point is this, it's then incumbent on Solskjaer to demand that level of performance from him every, every week. When you're a manager, your job isn't just tactics. It isn't just putting a player in the right position. It's demanding the level of performance from that player that gets the best out of him and it it enables the club to get a return on their investment. And all too often under Solskjaer, Popper's not the only one. There are a number of players that are inconsistent under Solskjaer. And Pogba's getting the blame for that as an individual when the focus should be on the management of the club. I would take that on board if it wasn't for the fact that Pogba was equally bad under Jose Mourinho. And actually arguably played a big role in him leaving Old Trafford. Okay. Again, well, I, I mean, we got to move on, but I, 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 we've got to agree to disagree on that. I mean, Pogba being a big player and falling out of with Mourinho. Do you remember the dance he enough, did when, when but, uh, Jose know, was fired? But I don't, I don't remember Pogba being responsible for too many of the defensive nightmares or the aberrations in goal under, uh, under Mourinho when, uh, during some of those games for Manchester United where they were abysmal. Pogba can't be blamed for all the problems at the football club. And just like Lukaku got blamed for some of the problems, then left and United continue to struggle. I bet you any money, if Pogba leaves, you'll still see Man United continue to struggle because I'm the not problems sure do not begin and end with him. I think Oli Solskjaer has got a hell of a lot of stick over the course of the last few months. And in particular, uh, from, from one of our cast members here on the podcast so I do believe that he gets equally uh, the amount of, in fact probably more over the course of this season than, than, than Paul Pogba I think the reason that we're talking about him today is because he piped up and, and, and had his say and I was actually trying to put the balance and the fact that maybe COVID-19 affected him anyway let's hope that he gets back to full fitness and he's in uh, fine fettle this weekend when Manchester United take on West Brom another game that's live on TalkSport at 8 o'clock we didn't even touch on West Brom so I will just say this They've played better than their points have suggested, but it's a squad that might not get out of the championship. Um, and that is a, a real problem. And they are going to be out without Callum Robinson, I think, after his positive COVID-19 test uh, when he was away with the Ireland squad. It's going to be difficult uh, for them, uh, as we've said right from the very start. But I think it's a lack of ambition at the top of the club, which has caused them a bit of an issue. Right, it is time to spin the wheel. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Lucy, our esteemed producer, is here to navigate our way through three fixtures we haven't touched on yet in roulette rivalry. Hello, Lucy. Hello, you're all right. Yeah, Lucy, I think you need to better sound effects for this segment. I, I feel as if you could be a little bit more inventive. I wonder whether or not, because... Uh, you know, we've recruited so well with Darren and Crookie that you've taken your foot off the gas a little bit. I think you need to up your game a little bit. I think it's just my time is uh, taken up by just trying to make you sound nice, Sam. <laughs> yeah. How's the puppy? We're picking up uh, Teddy, bracket sharing him in two weeks' time. Oh, right. Okay. Are you still excited about it? Oh, yeah. You I mean, have he's even got a, uh, he's got a Tottenham collar as well. So, Lucy, where did you get the Spurs dog collar from? From the Spurs official merchandise site. So you're proper, like, putting money in Daniel Levy's back pocket. And you probably paid about 25 quid for it. We could have made you one a lot cheaper. We ain't doing anything else in lockdown. You could have just asked. It wasn't that expensive. Darren's crocheting is excellent. It it, it is, actually. It's very, very good and precise. Not as good as uh, Crook's cross-stitch, but, uh, you know, he's up there with the very best. For once, he's speechless, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no word. Um, do you want to hand out a game each and we'll preview it off the top of our heads? Let's start with you, Sam. Okay. And I'm going to give you Fulham v Everton and your time starts now. This is massive for both, isn't it? Because this is the point where a season could take off if you're Fulham after playing a little bit better in, in recent matches or it could really knock the sails. The wind could just drop out of Everton, who have lost three in a row. They've dropped off a cliff. Could this be the moment that they start to compete for 14th again, as it has been the sort of recent season's uh, ambition? They started out thinking that they could possibly win the league. And if they are going to have any any hope of competing at the top end of the table, they've got to beat a Fulham side who have played better, but honestly, they are favourites to be relegated for a reason. They don't score enough goals. The goalkeeper's made a bit of a difference, but Lookman and, 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 and Ruben Loftus-Cheek are still their best players. Okay, thank you. <coughs> Waiting for a round of applause or something. It was very good, actually. Didn't really come. He went over the 62nd, though. I didn't. I stopped straight away. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that Spurs dog collar. Which one would you like, Crook? I don't know, because I haven't looked what the, what the two options are. <laughs> oh, preparation. <laughs> Taking it seriously. We're not allowed to prepare for this section, okay. remember? Okay. All right, Pogba. <laughs> right, I'm going to give you... I'm too big crook. for this. Aston Villa v Brighton. Oh, that's one of his teams. And it is. starts now. And also, one of the teams of the season so far, Aston Villa, absolutely sensational again in that game against Arsenal before the international break. Ross Barkley uh, must surely be 
close to forcing his way into Gareth Southgate's plans. There's been so much talk about Jack Grealish, the second coming, the new Gascoigne. He was exceptional, wasn't he, in that England game against Belgium. So his confidence is going to be high. And I've said on this podcast before, I fear for Brighton because they keep playing well in matches. They keep creating chances. They're not putting them away. And um, this is going to be a really difficult game for Graham Potter's side. They need that win um, sooner rather than later or the pressure will really mount. I think it'll be an interesting battle. Uh, Adam Lallana trying to pull the strings for Brighton in midfield. Grealish and Barkley, as I've mentioned, doing likewise for Aston Villa. I think there'll be goals. I can see enough of Villa win. He's gone miles over. See, I stopped straight away. He went miles over. Uh, Literally. That was like, uh, yeah, that was out of order. That was like an Eric Dyer free kick and went right over the top of the crossbar. <laughs> uh, Brighton have only won one of their games this season. They really do need to click into to gear and they missed big chances in the game against Manchester United, Crystal Palace and West Bromwich Albion, which I think, you know, hurt them terribly. They can't afford to do that away at Aston Villa. But Villa, as you mentioned, you know, 18 league goals this season. That's, that's really good performance uh, from, from them. Right, so that means we've got one fixture left in roulette rivalry. And it's for Darren. Sorry, I was yeah. waiting for Lou. How come you get, right. after you present, and Lou, Lou presents for the other two, and I get uh, you? Uh, hold on. I'm just waiting for her to tell you you're her. I know, he's just trying to take over. He's trying to take over, isn't he? Like the school nurse. Leave it to the person in charge. Oh, right, Darren, I'm going to give you Sheffield United v West Ham. Your time starts now. Thank you. Um... Sheffield United, difficult for them, bottom of the league, hammered by Chelsea last time out, but they're on a better run of fixtures now. And at home, they would expect to have a chance against the West Ham side that were lucky to beat Fulham in their last game. Everyone remembers that horrific last minute, well, injury time penalty, wasn't it, from Adamola Luckman uh, that he chipped into the arms of the goalkeeper that allowed West Ham to win and get away with it. But this could be trickier. Sheffield United will be up for it. They've got goal scoring power and potential and they'll be looking to maybe erase some of the heartbreaks that they've had over the early part of the season. I still think they're not gonna, they, they are not certainties to go down and I think they'll equip themselves a lot better. Darren, oh, stopped on the far money. be it from me to pick you up on what you've said, but I swear, I swear you just said Sheffield United will, will have a goal threat I think they will. They've scored four goals all season. That's one of the been the biggest problems. You, you yeah, but I didn't say they will score goals. I said they'll have a goal threat. All oh, right, okay. So they're just going to look at the. Do you know what the word threat means? Don't you? I'm coming, coming against you. for me to pick you up, but you know what the word threat means, don't you? Okay, goal threat, but no, but no killer instinct is what you what, what, what you maybe well, could have said. Yeah, I, mean, I, I thought you started off by waffling a little bit at the front of that. What did you think, Rook? It took about five seconds to start speaking. Yeah, it did. And then, and then, and then went, hmm, Sheffield United. I was clearing my throat. Listen, I thought to myself, do I do the easy one in West Ham, which I see fairly regularly, or shall I go for Sheffield United, who I don't see as much? Shall I make up I some stuff I'm about Sheffield story. United having a were you, were, were you at that Fulham game, Darren? You were, weren't you? I was, I was. You didn't come that, and say hello to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you were on the other social side. Distancing, social, social distancing. Social distancing and all that. But I must tell you, and I'm sure you, you will know, Crook, that gasp that went up in the press box when Lookman chipped the ball into the arms of uh, Fabianski. It was Incredible. just remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and being the last game before an international break, he had a whole two weeks to ponder <laughs> what on earth he was <laughs> contemplating at that point. I don't think he'll be taking penalties this weekend should they get one, that is, is for sure. Right, let's move on to Sunday Funday. Now, Aina with a drive. Oh, what a goal! Olaina 
Fulham have scored an absolute worldie to put Fulham two up. We'll dust ourselves down. We'll keep improving like we are as a team. This is where we are at this moment. We'll, we'll come again. Calvert-Lewin is underneath. Oh! And he's headed oh! in. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got the equaliser for Everton. The atmosphere in the squad is really good. Uh, all the players are involved. It's important to keep this spirit high. A mammoth Sunday starts with Fulham against Everton and ends with Liverpool against Leicester at 7.15. It's first versus third going into the weekend, but it's a weekend where any of the top six actually can end top of the table. Uh, And this is a real opportunity for Brendan Rodgers to remind Liverpool of his quality, Darren, isn't it? It is, uh, because uh, in terms of offensive power, they are the best team in the league. Uh, and they are boosted this season by Jota, who has come in and made his point in quite some style before the international break, so much so that he went with a four, didn't he, rather than three with one on the bench against Manchester City, because it just you could make a case for including him as the four, but you couldn't really make a case for leaving him out when Firmino hasn't scored that many goals. But again, you couldn't leave Firmino out because of the hard work that he does. So I remember the forward, debate on our um, on our podcast was who's going to play, Yotta or Firmino? And I went Yotta, you both went Firmino. And in the end, they both all played, <laughs> both played anyway. <laughs> so we'll call it a draw. Um, but the, the big problem, of course, on Liverpool is in defence. They have lost uh, Williams. Uh, We don't know if he may or may not be fit this weekend. Phillips, of course, might be available for them this week, but no Fabinho still. Um, No Matip, of course. Uh, No Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Van Dijk, of course, uh, not available all season. So this is a chance against the combination of Speedy Gonzalez and Roadrunner for uh, Leicester and Jamie Vardy. Six wins on the spin in all competitions for Leicester so far. Six wins from their last eight in the Premier League. And uh, if ever they're going to fancy their chances against Liverpool, it's going to be on this occasion. At the very least, it's going to be a tear-up. Let's just remember that Liverpool haven't lost at home since April 2017 in the league. So very rarely do anybody ever walk away with anything, not, not even a point usually. But as you've mentioned, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joe <coughs> Gomez, all serious problems. Henderson pulled out of the England squad. Uh, Andrew Robertson had a hamstring injury in the Slovakia game. And I watched the end of that match and I thought he, 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 was, he was sort of running on empty, but then played again anyway. Salah is isolating. He's out. Thiago had a problem before the break. The Ox apparently is training. Now they've opened Kirby. How do you contend with such a raft of injuries? I mean, you mentioned even even more than that defensively that they have problems. Crook, what what do you do in this situation? Have they got the squad to cover it? Well, I don't think anybody has got the the squad to cover um, that number of injuries to key players. And I have to say, um, I've got a bit annoyed with salty Leicester fans on social media this week saying, oh, you know, Liverpool got injuries. We've not been told about it and pointing out their own um, injury problems. Each club has to be um, taken in its own merit. And, And Liverpool's team that won the championship last season has been absolutely torn to shreds by these injuries. It's very difficult um, for Jurgen Klopp. In fairness, he hasn't come out and, and made an excuse so far, although, of course, he is leading the drive um, for five subs. And you have to say it seems to be a matter of time now until 
um, the Premier League come on board and join the rest of Europe. And as someone who was against five subs at the start of the season, I think when you look at the number of muscular injuries in particular, we, we really need to make that decision for the well-being of the players. But this is a, t- a tough game for Liverpool. Leicester in great form that they've got a player in Jamie Vardy and Tielemans in, in midfield who can exploit the best of defences. An understrength Liverpool back line is going to be challenged. And again, you mentioned their long unbeaten home run. If ever that is going to come to an end, then this weekend would seem as good a time as any. It's going to happen to everyone over the course of the season because of the volume of games that we've got and because of we've already seen the statistics in terms of the number of injuries that have been had. Chelsea had it towards the beginning of the season where they couldn't get their first choice lineup on the pitch. Leicester have had it throughout the course of this period. They've lost a lot of players to injury. Liverpool are having it now. Other clubs will experience it, which is why I can't get too much of an overreaction going about Liverpool dropping points and not winning the title because they've got all these injuries. I want to see how it goes, first of all. I think we should probably talk a little bit more about Mohamed Salah because, first of all, we shouldn't forget how well Liverpool played against City in that first 45 before the international break. So they are a force going forward with Jota, Mane and uh, Firmino. They're still going to have more than a goal threat. But are you surprised, Darren, that there hasn't been more of a hullabaloo about Mo Salah going to his brother's wedding then contracting coronavirus very shortly afterwards when he was actually released for international duty? Not really, because I think the way things are now, uh, clubs accept it. Clubs accept. Listen, we have a situation at the moment where football teams are flying all over the world to play football during a pandemic. We have the, the guidelines and the rules are there, but they're so fluid, so flimsy, so poorly enforced that actually if you're coming down hard on a player that player's got in a position to say well hang on a minute what about this what about that what about the other but but what I would say to that is is that there was quite a bit of a reaction about um, two England players fraternising with two separate people in what was supposed to be a Covid secure bubble yet Mohamed Salah was surrounded by quite a few more than two before going away into the Egyptian camp. Yeah, but he was, you said he'd been released. For international duty, yeah. Right, so if he's been released, he's not in a bubble, is he? But the idea is, is that you don't go out and go to a wedding. You go to your... Your, your, your team's hotel. But presumably he would have got permission to go well, to the that, 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 That's the question that I'm asking. Has that been investigated? Has, he been, has that question been asked? Have we found that out? Well, we would, we've not had a chance to obviously speak to Klopp and so I would imagine that question will be asked. Uh, because when... if that is the case and he has broken some COVID protocol, which, I mean, from the outside looking, it probably looks like he has if he's gone to a wedding, unless he was specifically told that it was okay. But, but that's my so. point though, Sam. At the moment, the details are clear. That's why there hasn't been hullabaloo because the details are, being, are unclear. Okay, so you would expect no people been... to find out whether or not that yeah. that, that was the yeah. case first. We've created a situation, not just in football, but in our society, where people are not observing the rules as they should. I, I, I totally agree with that. I'm, you know, I'm, I've been holed up in a hotel for 12 days on my own, uh, watching James Bond movies, uh, keeping away from everybody. And I've, when I've been out for my daily exercise, I, I've seen so many, many people on the road and uh, on, uh, you know, walking around and meeting up outside of houses. It, every, you know, it is a, it is a situation that is not un- fully under control. And I think that's, that's partly because of the way it has been handled 
centrally. But anyway, that's a different debate and we're turning a little bit into Times Radio here. Uh, so we'll move on quickly uh, and talk a little bit about um, Leeds against Arsenal. Uh, two heavy defeats for Leeds. Did the international break provide Marcelo Bielsa with a chance to reset, Crook? Um, I think Leeds fans will be hoping so. I mean, uh, the, the worry for them is is the sheer volume of chances that they afford the opposition. And in their last couple of matches, the opposition have cashed in on those and they've conceded eight times. And d- despite the fact that Arsenal haven't been scoring, perhaps with the regularity you would expect from a side with Aubameyang, uh, Lacazette, and Ketia and Willian in it, there are quality players there in the forward areas um, to exploit those obvious weaknesses in the Leeds defence. And I do wonder here, and we're in danger of, of, of getting carried away on a regular basis. Are we getting a little bit carried away with the cult of Marcelo Bielsa? Yes, he did a great job of getting Leeds into the Premier League. They've been attractive to watch, but ultimately they concede too many chances. They concede too many goals. And if they keep doing that, I think he's in for a difficult season, Bielsa. Um, obviously, they've got the added bonus of having a German international at the heart of their defence, Robin <laughs> Koch, who... Uh, only conceded six goals uh, whilst playing for Germany on Tuesday night. Uh, Arsenal haven't managed uh, too many goals recently, though, have they? So they'll be licking their lips about going up to Ellen Road. Just one goal in their last four league games, Darren. And that was a penalty. How does Mikel Arteta explain that? It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I've looked at the, the players, the many players. I think I may have mentioned this on the pod before, but... When players get into the last year of their contracts at Arsenal, they either leave or at the end of it for free or they sign a new deal and end up not being able to replicate the form before they'd signed that new deal. Uh, And Aubameyang looks to have been hit with the curse of the final year contract in some respects. I think he's too good a player for this run not to it continue. can't keep going. He is too good. I mean, we've seen him play so well. Exactly. He's such exactly. a talent. I know he had his problems on international duty where a Gabon were holed up in a Gambian airport for 12 hours. Sleeping on the floor. I mean, oh, that was just a disgrace. Story. Absolutely. Absolute nightmare disgrace. story. Um, and uh, so I know that he's had his problems on international duty, but I mean, he's such a good player. He's such a creative force and he, he scores some magnificent goals. I, I just want, is it the tactical framework that, that, that's hampering him, do you think? I think, he, I think it could be. Is he better equipped on the left-hand side coming in or is he an out-and-out striker? I think it's a conundrum that Mikhail Arteta is probably still trying to solve and I think he's still trying to work out if he can get Lacazette um, and Aubameyang in the same team. But equally, I think uh, the, the big focus from Arteta since he took the job has been improving Arsenal as a defensive unit. He's clearly done that but maybe that's at the detriment of their players going forward. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, I think he had to do something to stop the goals being conceded, but he was able to strike a really good balance at the back end of last season between that defensive stability and attack. And he's lost something in, in during the first, you know, quarter, if you like, of this season. He's got to get that back. That collapse against Aston Villa just before the international break was one of the most alarming I've seen during the first third third of the season. It was horrendous and they should have conceded five because Aston Villa were that good against an Arsenal side I expected to be much better. But I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened for Arsenal and for Arteta. He took responsibility afterwards. He said, I'll get this sorted out. And this is the test of whether he's been able to do that. Looking forward to it. Should be a great weekend of football. Uh, that's it from us. We'll see you on Monday for a look back at the weekend's football. 
Uh, Alex will be uh, with me after it. it was all concluded on Sunday night. We'll also look forward to Monday's games and some of the matches that are upcoming in the Champions League as well. Thank you very much to Alex Crook and to Darren Lewis, assistant editor of the Daily Mirror. Uh, we're back on uh, Monday morning. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.